Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. As Black History Month comes to a close, I've been reflecting on an idea that was first raised more than 240 years ago, at a time when the 13 original colonies were still colonies, and the U.S. Constitution had yet to be written. It was 1783 when a freed woman named Belinda Sutton asked the Massachusetts legislature for reparations. And unlike tens of millions of Black people in the years to come, she got them, in the form of a pension of 15 pounds, 12 shillings paid from the estate of the man who had enslaved her. But the idea of reparations, that formerly enslaved black people or their descendants should be compensated to make amends for slavery and discrimination, well, it did not catch on. It wasn't until just a few years ago in 2019 when a U.S. city created the first reparations program for black residents in the nation. That city was Evanston, Illinois. The town of Evanston made history when it became the first municipality in the U.S. to pass an official government reparations program for black residents. Former Evanston Council member Robin Rue Simmons shepherded the nation's first municipally funded reparations program through city council in 2019. Former alderman Robin Rue Simmons drew the number of the first recipient, a moving moment for Simmons. We cannot erase our history of anti-black laws and culture, but we can repair it. Now a group of high school students is interviewing people who have received reparations in Evanston to learn about their experiences. Would I like to pass on information that I have now that I can, you know, tell them about what happened back in the day? Today on the podcast, we learn more about the Intergenerational Oral History Project and reparations recipients like Elizabeth Cox, whose voice you just heard. We also check in with Masai Gentle, a senior at Evanston Township High School, who's doing some of the interviews, and with the group behind the project. Shorefront Legacy Center collects and preserves stories from black people who live on the North Shore. And I started by asking Shorefront's executive director, Loris Bell, what she wanted to discover. Here's Loris. I feel like we're sitting on so many stories. You know, Shorefront's three words that we stick to are collect, preserve, and educate. And this program, the idea of having an intergenerational piece, I think a lot of kids don't see history as something that's interesting. Often, you know, in journalism, uh, history, archiving, it is a largely white field, or they're largely white fields. It felt important to me to have our youth be able to get to know our elders and our elders to get to know the youth. And what better place than for people to be able to speak about reparations, which is on the tip of everyone's tongues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the project has kicked off. It kicked off earlier this month. And and I want to be taken back to that very first meeting. What was the energy like, Ms. Cox? I walked in the door and I was a little bit surprised because I you know, got the information from a friend of mine, and she she also showed up, you know, and she says, uh, I've just been recommending you and putting your name out there, and I've never been one to actually broadcast what I know, but if you ask me, I'll give you the information, you know. Uh, I am a life member in Evanston. 
Uh, Messiah, I'm curious how you saw things at the start. Was this exciting for you? So I was definitely excited going into the room. I mean, I think I knew what the program entailed kind of before, but it was it was a different thing to be in the room with all these people, all the history that was in the room and and all the different experiences just through kind of our introduction, our icebreaker. We talked to an, a member of the community um, and they introduced us. So it was just, it was a lot to, I could tell there was a lot of history in the room. There was a lot to be learned and there was a lot to be done. Um, I think that it gave me a kind of a sense of responsibility to to just carry on this legacy and to inform people about reparations and what they feel like needs to be done to help them. And, and did what Larice said a moment ago resonate with you? I saw you nod when she mentioned that, you know, the, the typical teenage <laughs> state when it comes to learning about history, it's usually stuff that goes over their heads, right? What made you so interested in this piece of history? Um, I, I nodded my head because I, I experienced that myself. I mean, I think... I really have grown to appreciate history, mm -hmm. um, especially in these last two years of my life. In previous years in school, I've taken history classes where we kind of just memorized events. Um, I didn't really kind of learn, get, get deep into the history and learn how it affected society, all of those other things. And it, it's kind of intrigued me. And now my whole schedule is based around history. I mean, I think I'm a major in history in college. Wow. So this was kind of right up my alley. This is history specific to me, too. Um, it's Black Evanston history. So, yeah, this is something that I was I was drawn to. Loris, talk about the power of pairing together elders with students. This program is Black-led. We've got mostly Black kids coming to talk to their elders. We've got a mix of other kids as well. But I thought it was important that we tell our own stories and that we learn our own stories, and that we can go back and forth. There's a magic. We got into the room, a lot of the recipients, the elders were there, and they were to come for this initial meeting, and then at the end, and many said, can we keep coming back? Mm. That's a good sign. And these are people who are like, I don't know if I want to go. You know, because people are asked to, as Elizabeth was talking about, tell their stories without getting anything back. And this becomes a conversation, a learning that goes back and forth. So for me, I couldn't have been happier when I walked into that room and as I stayed there for two hours, um, and we could have stayed another hour. Yeah, I bet. What do you hope to learn, Masai? I hope to get kind of just knowledge, um, things to move forward with. I, I mean, I think reparations are something that needs to happen across the country. Um, and I think I want to learn what we can do to improve them, um, what we can do to make people feel more kind of whole. Because at the end of the day, this was something happened to them. Um, and now we're trying to repay back that. So it's all on us to give back to them and make them feel whole. So yeah. just trying to get from their perspective. I mean, because I think um, now, I mean, I think I still 100% I'm feeling the the kind of effect of events that happened in the past, but I'm not, I'm not in it. I'm not in these events. I'm not. I'm not getting firsthand, firsthand experience on what it was like. So I think learning that can help me move forward in the future and kind of affect um, the next generation and kind of help make our world a better place. Ms. Cox, you said this is a great idea. Tell me what you want to pass on to the younger generation. Well, what I'd like to pass on information that I have now that I can, you know, tell them about what happened back in the day. My parents, they were here, but 
with me growing up, I never asked questions. I did more looking and listening. I made sure that I learned everything that I wanted to learn and what was going on in Evanston. And my oldest sister, she gets phone calls about, you know, uh, reparations and and what happened in Evanston. And uh, right away she says, you're talking to the wrong person. Mm. You need to talk to my sister. She knows everything. So tell me about some of that curiosity on, on your part. What, what What did you find out? to the extent that you're comfortable sharing? Well, I did find out that uh, we weren't really treated fairly, especially my parents, because there's uh, one instance where they wanted to buy a home, and the landlord was Caucasian, of course, and uh, uh, this particular bank in Evanston, you could not, blacks could not get loans. So what he did was he says, okay, we're going to rent to buy. I don't know where the money went, mm. you know, don't know where he went with this rent to buy, and it never happened. But as years progressed, my oldest brother, I don't know the particulars, but he did end up buying the house himself, mm. you know. But that was in the 60s that he bought the home. But before then, you know, she was just paying money, paying money, and it never came about, wow. you know, what, where, where's our down payment money? And he'd always say, well, it's coming, it's coming, it's soon, but she never got the money. Your mother? My mother. Wow. When did you get reparations, and, and what are you using them for? My reparations I got in October of last year. Okay. The original plan was you use it to pay down on your mortgage, buy a home, and remodeling or, you know, upgrading things in your house. Mm-hmm. Those are the three things I chose. I didn't stop. I kept those. Yeah. And things changed during the reparations uh, meetings, you know. Now uh, you can you can get the cash money. I didn't want the cash money. You know, I wanted to use it for what I wanted to use it for. Mm-hmm. And um, I find out that a lot of Recipients did take the cash, mm. you know, but. Um, but you chose a different route. I chose I chose a different route, and I stayed with the original route. Yeah. You know. Why was that important to you? Well, it it has been very slow in getting my things done in the home that I wanted to do. You know, I'm retired, and uh, on a fixed income, and it was getting to be really slow for me for the things I need to do around the house. So that's why I stayed with the plan. Lorise, this is really historic, right? The, the first reparations program, but it also has some criticisms. So what kind of nuances are you hoping to capture here as you record these stories of recipients? Each person has a different story. Some will say they really didn't see a lot of injustice or inequity mm-hmm. in Evanston. Some will say they experienced much, that they couldn't go downtown or to the lake or be at Northwestern or have equity when they went to high school and access to classes or college or housing. You know, redlining is real, and it existed in the historically black Fifth Ward. There were no banks. There were no grocery stores. 
the grade school that was there closed 55 years ago, and that area has not had one. And that started in 1966 with forced integration. So there are many things that have happened for which reparations could be paid beyond housing. I think a lot of the criticisms came around the $25,000 being earmarked um, for housing specifically when other reparations programs weren't that way. A gentleman in our program, Kenneth Weidman, and his sister rented properties um, or an apartment, and they said they had no intention of buying a property, so why should they be left out? The idea that people are able to get that cash payment of $25,000 means something. And the idea of people not policing how one would spend it means something. I think that the program that Robin Roos Simmons spearheaded is not necessarily a perfect program, but I don't know that perfect exists. Yeah. I think that it's it's continually moving and evolving. So, Masai, listening to Ms. Cox tell her story there, that gives us a sense of some of what you'll be hearing as you go out and you start interviewing elders in your community. What feelings did that bring up for you, listening to her recall what happened to her mother with the loan, for instance? I think kind of learning a lot about these, about their stories and all the different perspectives that they have, I feel like I've been desensitized to a lot of these things. I mean, I feel like I hear about all these terrible things happening to people and um, all of the injustices that happen. But every time I hear a story, it it has the same effect on me. I feel saddened. I feel like something was taken away from us. Um, And I just, I'm always left with this feeling of like, I wonder what would have happened if this didn't happen to us. Where would we be without this kind of like holding us back? Um, And I feel like now we're working to fix these wrongs. but, I mean, it's only so much. Like, where was this back then? I mean, I'm glad that it's happening now, but it's too little too late. Yeah. So, Part of this project involves interviewing uh, reparations recipients who they know that you aren't just parachuting into the community and then you're gone, right? What's the importance of that, establishing a, a trust with them, Loris? When people haven't been listened to, when people have been marginalized and disenfranchised, People don't necessarily come to the table with open arms and trust, rightly so. Mm -hmm. So the idea was to have seven weeks where people could get to understand what it looks like. There are cultural pieces. We're calling Ms. Cox Elizabeth, but you wouldn't walk into a room with an elder and say, hi, Elizabeth. You would say, hi, Ms. Cox. And then if she gave you permission later on, you might say, Miss Elizabeth. Those are things that are important to understand. There are pieces to understand that you don't just walk into a room and start in. You learn about people. Right. What is important to them? Because we're not a monolith. We have 12 recipients, 12 elders in the room. And they 12 different stories. 12 different stories. There's not one story that got us here. I think Elizabeth is being a little soft-spoken, but Elizabeth is really a leader in our community. And Elizabeth has volunteered at Shorefront for years and basically comes in every Saturday and we have a project of obituaries, Oh, right? So Shorefront, you know, we don't just archive history, we rewrite it with these kinds of stories. And Shorefront was also in the front line towards accelerating reparations. Our founder, Dino Robinson, co-authored with Jenny Thompson a report on Evanston and its um, harm to black residents. Mm. Well, that's good to hear, Ms. Cox. Thank you. You are involved in in many ways here with Shorefront. I mean, what is the importance then to you 
of collecting these personal histories and preserving it for future generations. I, I mean, it's not lost on me that this is also starting during Black History Month, too, right? Yes. I'm amazed, too, because when Dino gave me that project, there's tons and tons of obituaries. And I start putting them together, and I'm, I was thinking that this is a good project because there are people in Evanston who are still looking up their ancestors, and I tell them, I said, come to Shorefront because the obituary is there because it goes back to people being born in the 1880s, and their obituary is there. You know, my mom's is there. I have two deceased brothers, and um, I have a couple of nieces and nephews. Mm. You know, we've, we've been lucky that we have not had a lot of death in our family, but... Uh, um, That's not the case for everyone, right? Right, right, right. I mean, but and, even in your lineage, you've got so much to tell. Yes. You've got yes. so many stories to tell. And you, Masai, you're part now of recording living history. Yeah. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think it's it's a big responsibility. I try to go into it as just a sponge, just to, I want to kind of take in everything I can. I mean, I think in my 17 years, I, I don't think I have experienced enough to say anything. I just want to listen and take in this knowledge and learn what I can do forward yeah. in, the, in the future to kind of influence the world. Well, this is the perfect project to do so. We've been talking with Masai Gentle, who's a senior at Evanston Township High School, Elizabeth Cox, who's an Evanston resident and recipient of reparations, and Laurice Bell, executive director of Shorefront Legacy Center. Thank you all so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Max Lubers, edited by Dan Tucker and Maha Ahmed, and mixed by Brenda Ruiz. If you like what you're hearing on Reset, please consider subscribing wherever you like to listen. And if you have a moment, leave us a rating and a review. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.